tomorrow's not promised. If you let fear win and living in that bubble, so to speak, what kind of life are you going to have? I don't know how many years I have left of being able to race, but I'm going to enjoy it while I'm here and I'm going to make the most of every single day. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Hey ladies, it's time to put your badass boss babe hat on. Head over to femcanic.com's resource page and create your personal listing and your business listing if you have one of those too. No cost to you at all, just shameless self-promotion. Talent recruiters for jobs, radio, and TV gigs have leveraged this page to discover talent. Come on ladies. It's time to get your self-promotion on. Remember, femcanic.com, resource tab at the top, and click the Yes, I'm a Badass Woman. Lacey Trude is in the driver's seat today. It all started at 16 when her dad taught her how to change her oil. It evolved into her working as a service writer and then a service manager. In 2016, she started her racing career with SCCA in Alabama. She won the Novice Championship that season, and eventually she crossed over from autocross to motorcycles. She did all of this while navigating congestive heart failure. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Lacey Truitt in the driver's seat today. How are you doing today, Lacey? I am doing fabulous. Let's see. You're down south. I am. And I am up north in Ohio, and we had beautiful weather today, so I was enjoying sitting on my hammock this afternoon. What kind of weather did you guys have down there, just out of curiosity? 80 degrees, sunshine, beautiful. Oh, yeah, right? Perfect racing weather. (laughs) Pool time weather. (laughs) Pool time. That's even better for sure. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show and being willing to take a little bit of time out of your schedule to share your journey, your story with the Femcanic community. I love interviewing women because they're all so dynamic. And one of the things that drew me to your story, to be candid, is your heart condition. My audience may or may not know this. Uh, I don't share it a lot, but my son, he's 10 years old. And when he was exactly one month old, he was diagnosed uh, with a heart condition as well. He has uh, SVT or Wolf Parkinson's White. And those of you who know about heart conditions, you either have a plumbing issue or an electrical issue. And my son has an electrical issue. So probably in the next year or so, he's going to have heart surgery to have the extra electrical node burn out of his heart. And, uh, you know, when I started educating myself around heart conditions, 
when my son went in. His heart rate was 297. And it was the scariest and most helpless thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. Because uh, those of you may know, for infants, the doctors get a plastic bag of ice and stick it over your baby's face to try to get them to bear down to reset their heart. And all you can do as a parent is sit back and watch. I, I saw that you had it in there. It piqued my interest because you chose racing. Now, you, you got into it and you became a technician. You, you worked through that path. And I'm going to have you share about that. But what fascinated me is that when people think of heart conditions, they typically think, don't put yourself in positions that would raise your heart rate. <laughs> right? Exactly. That's what, you know, and if I'm being honest, when my son was first diagnosed, that, that was the first thing. It's like, okay, what causes this? I, I don't want to do the things to cause this. And it took me forever to trust and believe the doctors when they said, your son running around will not trigger him to go into an SVT episode. Because for the longest time I had in my head that increased heart rate could trigger an even greater heart rate. And that's just not true for my son's situation. So I have to ask out of pure curiosity, were you born with the condition or did it come on later? I was not born with it. Um, I actually was going to donate one of my kidneys uh, to a very good friend of mine. And I went through the whole kidney donation process and they found, I failed two EKGs, uh, abnormal. And so they sent me for tests. Come to find out, I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure, uh, SVT, uh, same as your son. So my life got flipped upside down. I couldn't donate my kidney in the end, uh, but he saved my life and I can't thank him enough for that. He did end up getting a kidney, so he is fine. He's doing great. Uh, but if it wasn't for that, I, I don't I don't know what would have happened. Well, it started with your selfless act. Yes, and I think, you know, somebody upstairs was looking out for me, possibly saying, yeah. Hey, this isn't this isn't right. I'm not through it, but I'm stronger as a person and I'm gonna come out the other side even stronger. You know, and, and something that has changed, uh, my mother actually had a heart attack, uh, two weeks ago and she had two stents put in. So now she is seeing what I have went through, but I'm able to be there for her because I know what she's going through and I'm strengthening her and we're both strengthening each other. And how is she doing now? She's doing great. She is in that fear stage like we all have of, oh my goodness, if I do this, you know, something else is going to happen. And I keep telling her, you, you can't live in a bubble. No. You have to live your life. So <laughs> we're working through it. Well, I think if anyone has shown her that, it, it's you. I wanted to start with that. Uh, one, because it was a connection point for me. And it's terribly scary. And there's a lot of misconceptions around it, too. Right. And you bring up a, a great point about how we can't be bubble girls or bubble boys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, we have one life to live and we have to live it. And 
that best in most complete form. So uh, last question about that. How old were you when you found out? Uh, two years ago. So 34. Wow. Wild, <laughs> wild. Let's back up a little bit. What got you into the automotive industry? What, what made you catch the bug? Well, so none of my family has ever raced anything of that sort. But my dad, uh, whenever I was 15, got my first car. It was a manual. I didn't want a manual. But he said, you're going to learn to drive it. I don't care. You're going to be able to drive a six-speed. So he said, you're also not going to depend on a man to change your oil, to change a tire should you have a flat. He said, you're going to know how to do the maintenance on your car. So I did. I learned. I hated it. I dodged every hill. I don't care if I had to go an hour out of my way because I just, I hated it. And I just took it that step further because I see men all the time taking advantage of women. They've tried to take advantage of my mom, charging her $1,400 to do a brake job. And I'm going, a brake job? Yeah. Rotors. And pads. And they said it was because of four-wheel drive. And I said, buddy, I wasn't born yesterday. That's ridiculous. So from now on, I've done all of the mechanic work on our car. I've pulled the engine. Uh, we've redone the heads and everything. And I've, I've done that in my driveway for her so that nobody can take advantage of her. That's what I'm talking about. I have to ask out of curiosity because when I hear six-speed, six-speeds typically are more sporty type cars. Versus the five-speed. So what was that six-speed that you learned on? It was a Camaro. <laughs> oh, rear-wheel drive, too. Oh, wow. Okay. That's fun. And I'm sure you got into a little bit of trouble with that. Uh, yes, I actually uh, totaled that vehicle out. Oh, wow. Yep. <laughs> I was trying to make it home from curfew. And I was going <laughs> around a curb. And my rear tire dropped off. And what do you do? I snatched the wheel back and it sent it into a spin and then that flipped the car twice. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That's terrifying. Now, did you get injured or anything in that? No. Um, it, I had three other people in the car with me. Uh, they were fine, but it scared me. Uh, I would imagine. Because those people's life were in my hands and I didn't realize that until I guess that happened. So... I still drive fast, but not on the street. I drive fast on a racetrack. Controlled <laughs> environment. Exactly. So you're 16. Your dad puts you in a position where it's like you will learn these things. Uh, hated it then. Looking back on it now, probably appreciate it. I'm very grateful because I wouldn't be where I'm at with the opportunities that I've had uh, if he had not done that. So I wish he was still here. Uh, he never got to see me race. Uh, he's never, you know, motorcycles nor cars, uh, but, you know, he's looking down from me upstairs For and, sure. and pushing me, you know, to be better every race. Oh, I love it. Now, once you graduated high school, because that was 16 years old that your dad said, you're going to do this. <laughs> what happened next then? Uh, I went to college. I was uh, going in for marine biology. And um, I stayed there for three years, and God had different plans for me. I ended up getting married. 
and my son was born five years after we got married. Wow. Okay. So marine biology. Yeah. Uh, complete left field. <laughs> but, I mean, that that's very different than racing, right? Yes. And I, and I had no plans to race. That, that never entered my mind uh, until I met my husband now. Uh, he was autocrossing. Yeah. And so he introduced me to that. And mm -hmm. I was really good at it. And I beat him <laughs> in his own car. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, wait a minute. Yeah, he goes, this is how it's supposed to be. And we compete, and it's a healthy competition that we have going on between each other. The person who loses has to make sandwiches <laughs> for the next week. <laughs> That's great. So, uh, but he supports me, um, the service manager role. I've done that for 14 years. Now, you did that before you even got into racing, right? Yes, that's where so, I first started. Let's go back there a little bit. Why did you choose to get, I guess, kind of go down that path? Because you go from marine biology to, hey, I'm going to look at being a, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's odd. So I started out uh, as a service rider, I think, as everybody does. I always assume that not all listeners know what these roles are. What is a service rider? Uh, so the service rider is the person at a dealership that greets you. You'll check in with them. You'll explain what you need. Uh, they will then write a ticket and pass that off to the technician according to the complaint that you're having with your vehicle or just regular service that you need performed. They're kind of the go-to in-between person between the technician and the customer. Got it. So once I did that uh, for a couple of years, they asked me if I wanted to be a service manager. And I said, yes, I already had my ASE that point in time. I was working on that as I was a service rider. And I took that position and that opened up, oh my goodness, a whole different level of technicians that didn't believe that a woman should be in that position, that I didn't know what I was talking about. Talk to me a little more about that. And it's not a new theme on the podcast, but I always like learning about different women's experiences. So when you said that they couldn't believe, like, what were some of the experiences that you had? Well, they would just, you know, snub their nose up at me that I just had no idea what I was talking about in general. Whenever most of the time I could pretty much pre-diagnose the vehicle, even though you're not supposed to do that uh, in a dealership before it gets to the technician. But I would actually go back there and fix the vehicle after they worked on it for a couple of hours and could not fix it. Uh, they also like the fact that I have very small hands. <laughs> Did you find they eventually came around, Lacey? Like at yes. first there was this skepticism. You dug in. You didn't talk the talk. You walked the walk. Correct. And, and once they saw that I knew what I was talking about, I was then accepted. Mm -hmm. And I was part of the team. Uh, they didn't snub their nose at me. <laughs> but, you know, being a woman in this profession, in this so-called man's world, we have to be twice as intelligent and do the job twice as thorough than a man that does the exact same thing. You know, we're changing that one day at a time, but it's not going to happen overnight. Now, you did that, you said 14 years? Yes. 14 years. So 
How long after you started working there did you get, I guess, promoted? I was a service rider for four years. So the fifth year, um, I took the service manager role. And then, you know, I also worked out in the shop. I never asked them to do anything that I wouldn't physically get out there and do. And I enjoyed getting my hands dirty. I liked Mm -hmm. it. But, you know, and customers would come up, you know, older men uh, talking to a younger female. I had one actually tell me, what do you know about fixing cars? And I said, sir, so do you want layman's terms or we can get as technical as you want to? Which one would you like? And he stopped. (laughs) Good for you. A a respectful way of saying, I can meet you where you're at. And if you want me to prove my knowledge, I'm more than happy to do that. Right. But I fixed his vehicle after he had been to four repair facilities. I fixed his vehicle. So I earned that customer's business. And he said he would never go anywhere else. And see, that's a beautiful thing. And, And I feel like it's through those types of actions, how we bring people along in this journey. Do you know what I mean? How we bring them along to become allies for women. Right. Because to really make this shift in the industry, the role that women play in this movement is to just keep showing up, be there, right? The role that the men play is really the movement of the needle. It's getting more allies and locking arms, men and women, and us doing this together. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I do. You said 14 years. So the remainder of the 14 years, was it spent being a service manager then? Actually, I became a technician after that. And now, like I said, I'm the manager of a local racetrack here. So shifted into where I wanted to, I guess, end up because that is my passion. So I can fix my own cars. I don't have to depend on anyone to do that. Uh, But helping women, because the the racetrack enables me to get women onto the track and have the firsthand experience with that. So you manage a track. I do. Educate me and educate the listeners. When you say manage a track, what does that really mean? What does that entail? Behind the scenes, as a track manager... We're the ones that schedule the medical staff, uh, the corner workers. We make sure that the track is in proper condition for races or whatever event is being held. So there's a, a whole lot of manual work that goes into it. Uh, and then once the event starts, we're the ones that pass out the radios. We're kind of in behind the scenes, making sure that everybody has what they need to do their jobs effectively. Now, how long have you been doing that? Uh, Almost a year. Almost a year. Would you say it's the most fulfilling role so far? Absolutely. What about it makes it so fulfilling to you? Getting to see people's first time of actually going onto a racetrack. I get to see their face when they come off and the glow that they have and that they just thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Everything about it. That's my job is to make their experience, the best that it can be. And what's the name of the track that you manage? It's Talladega Grand Prix Raceway. It's in Munford, Alabama. I, <laughs> I can't I can't hear Talladega and not think of Will Ferrell. I, I just... Yeah, well... I, I can't. 
He's such a goofball, man. It's a great movie. <laughs> it, it is a great movie. Uh, what kind of track is this? It's a road course. So it was originally built for motorcycle racing by Ed Bargy. Uh, you can look him up. He is one of the best uh, in motorcycle racing. He's written books and everything. Uh, and then Cars is an afterthought. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we still host a lot of a lot of car tracks. But Barber, for example, was built for cars first and foremost, and motorcycles being an afterthought. Well, this racetrack was built differently. Uh, so we do still host car events and things like that. We have spec Miata races out there. We have uh, competitive drifting out there. Uh, and then we also hold motorcycle races for Arma and Wira. So we host a wide variety of things. That's fascinating to me. I haven't even thought about it, to be honest, because uh, it's out of my wheelhouse. A track is a track is a track, and that's just not true. So when a track is built first for motorcycles versus cars, what's the main difference? Uh, the camber. Uh, the camber that is in the turns. Camber is the banks? Yes. Okay. So like two of our turns, uh, they've got about a 20, 25 degree embankment. So that allows the motorcycle, you know, to, to stick to the track to make that smooth turn. Um, we don't have a lot of elevation changes like Barber, but Barber, you know, is a completely different track. Um, it does have a lot of off camber turns, but it's not as wide as Barber. Uh, so for cars, you do want a wider track, but we are still able to host car events, but, but they are just a little bit different. That's hugely helpful. I've, <laughs> I've learned so much from all of you women that are willing to educate me. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, I just added something else to my bucket list. So <laughs> well, come say me. <laughs> I, I, I'm, it's interesting because after meeting so many women, and you are technically interview, I think, 81 or 82, Lacey. And now I have a newfound goal, I would say. And I want to buy an RV, travel all over North America, and actually meet the women that I've interviewed, meet them face-to-face, and actually spend a day in their world and what they do. Because uh, I get to hear about it from you. But to see you in your element and be on that track and watch, that's what it's about to me. And really getting to know you ladies and immersion. Like I hear it and I want to observe it. I want to smell it. I want to hear it. I want to feel it. And I want to record it all. <laughs> and I, I would be honored to uh, attend your track and watch you in your element. And see what this is all about and be a little birdie on the wall, so to speak, and just watch and observe. That would be phenomenal. And you're welcome at any point in time. <laughs> I appreciate that. I want to talk about racing. So you you go and you become a technician. And let me ask this. Did you start racing motorcycles or cars first? Cars. So cars. At what point were you like, hmm? I'm going to go race now because <laughs> you went through quite the evolution. Yes. From marine biology to technician. <laughs> uh, my husband, I got the bug. 
when he first took me to an autocross. I, I got bit by the bug. I'm an adrenaline junkie. There's no covering that up. Um, and I was, I was good at it. And there wasn't a lot of women that were out there driving. They were sitting in the passenger seat. Uh, so I like being different. That's, that's who I am. And so I drove his car, uh, beat him in the championship. <laughs> what car did you drive? So it's a 2014 uh, Saw an FRS. It was NA at that point in time, but we did turbo it uh, later. Mm-hmm. And then I had a stock 1997 Miata and I raced it. And then I got bit by the speed bug and I turboed that car, ripped <laughs> everything down and realized just how fun <laughs> a Miata can be, especially when you give it a couple more horsepower. <laughs> With how light it is. And oh man, I could only imagine. The Miata is almost 50-50 perfectly balanced from the front to the rear. Uh, the FRS is very close to that as far as that platform being perfectly balanced right out of the box. Is that why a lot of people tend to get those to tinker with racing when they first get into it? Yes. They're a really, I guess, affordable entry-level car. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you can, of course, with anything, you can put as much money and time into it as you want. For sure. Uh, But I take pride in beating people that are driving, you know, $50,000 cars. And I've got a $1,000 Miata that I just, you know, (laughs) beat you with. I like that. (laughs) You said, you know, hey, I went out there, drove my husband's car, actually beat him. And when you say beat him, do you mean like times? Oh, yes. Because obviously you're both driving the same car. We would compare times with each other. And then I told him, you know, just come down to being an awesome driver. (laughs) Did you do any training or anything? You just literally got in the car and it's like, let's try this out. I just got in the car. Now, we went to some schools, to some driving schools to learn a little bit more car control. Uh, but also going to the track day, so a high performance driving event, we went to those. So they complement each other. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I tell people that drive cars on track to do autocross is because in the event that you spin on track, autocross is going to help you maintain control of that car. And I also have taught a teen driving clinic that incorporates autocross into that. And I thoroughly enjoy putting on those events and helping coach because if I get through to one teenager about texting and driving, that just made everything worth it. Absolutely. Now, if if I'm a woman and I'm interested in wanting to, you know, air quotes and no pun intended, but uh, test drive what it's like to race, what path might I go down? To get there. So SCCA, uh, they're all over the country. They have uh, SCCA in every single region. You can bring out your daily driver to that event. It just can't leak fluid. But we have had people run a Ford Taurus out there or an old (laughs) Crown Vic. Now, I'm not saying that the amount of body roll is not going to be just crazy. (laughs) But you can bring it. Do you ever have a minivan out there? Yes, we have. Yes, we have. 
I have to pause and let this sink into the listeners and into myself as well, if I'm being honest, Lacey. When you talk about setting limitations on yourself, and we all do it, right? Occasionally, even, you know, go-getters do it. We come up with all these excuses and reasons why I can't do that, right? (laughs) There's minivans out there. So when you say your everyday driver, it really could be your everyday driver. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, bring it. Whatever it has on it, no matter the tires, bring it. Drive it. (laughs) That is way cool. (laughs) Now, are people supportive? Like when someone rolls up in a Crown Vic or a, a, a minivan or something, do people get a kick out of it? Yeah, I mean, I get a kick out of it because I'm like, okay, this is awesome. This person wants to do this so bad that they're going to they're going to bring their personal vehicle out here that yeah. they drive back and forth to work. Right on. More power to you. You know, they're all so supportive of it doesn't matter whether you have a $100,000 car or you have a $500 car. Just get in the game. Just go experience it. Right. And even if someone doesn't plan on being a race car driver or anything, if anything, just the practice driving, I think, could make you a better driver, period. It has saved me on the street countless times of people pulling out in front of me and I'm having to do a quick maneuver, you know, to miss them. Mm-hmm. So that's why the teen driver clinic is also so important because, you know, it forces them to put their vehicle in normal situations that wouldn't happen on the street. But should it happen on the street, they're prepared for it. They know what to do. They don't hit panic mode. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that, that I like to do is we want you to lock your brakes up. So I'm in the passenger seat and they're driving and we get the vehicle up to about 30 or 40 miles per hour. And I, whenever I tell them I want you to hit the brakes, I want you to stand on the brake pedal. I want you to lock it up. And I tell them when to do it. So I actually get them to bring their phone out and I tell them, just read something to me. I don't care what it is. I want you to read something to me and try to drive this vehicle. And so they did. And I would just tell them to stop very abruptly. And they missed the mark every single time. I said, now imagine that that was a child that just ran out in front of your vehicle. And I know that's a horrible thing to imagine, but that's the only way that I felt you know, to put importance on it, that you may think you're the best driver in the world. Oh, I can text and drive. No, you can't. No, Mm -hmm. you can't. So that opened their eyes up to realize, hey, I I really can't do this, you know. So that's why I like, you know, doing that aspect of the teaching and things. Let me ask one follow-up question. Anyone can bring any car out as long as it's not leaking fluid. Do you recommend any, I guess, uh, classes or courses? Because there's a lot out there. I've looked at some. There are a lot of different ones you can choose. Is there like a basic one that you'd recommend? Um, not right off. Um, I've only experienced, you know, just the local ones that, that are around here. Something's better than nothing. Exactly. And, and just trusting yourself. And the other thing that is great about that organization If it's your first time, we are happy to put somebody in the passenger seat with you and help you, help you along. All you have to do is ask for it. Everybody is there to help. We're all great people. All go above and beyond to make sure that you have fun. 
I love it. Let's transition a little bit. You started in cars, then you moved over to motorcycles. Why make the jump from cars to motorcycles? Well, five years ago, maybe six now, I had a severe motorcycle wreck on the street. So you've always driven motorcycles? No, uh, just about for about five or six years. And I had the wreck, lost most of my right shoulder. I didn't have any gear on, mind you, except for a helmet. So you were in like a t-shirt? I was wearing a spaghetti strap shirt. I was wearing nylon pants, of which they had to dig out of my skin, uh, awake. And my hands, because you always put your hands out to try to stop yourself, didn't even have gloves on. So I lost most Mm. of the skin on my hands. But I was told that I was just one of those people that wasn't meant to ride. But I loved it. I loved the freedom. I loved the wind in my face. I loved it. This was after the accident they said that? This was after the accident. So I quit riding. Quick question. What kind of motorcycle were you driving? It was a SV-1000 because I felt like I needed to have the biggest bike. (laughs) (laughs) Reminding everyone you're the thrill seeker. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But I, I lesson learned. Um... He wanted to get bikes, and I said, okay. So we we bought Yamaha R3s, and we went and took the rider's safety course with Harley-Davidson. And there was a man that had been riding for like 35 years that he failed. He failed the class, but I passed. So that gave me some confidence. We started doing track days because they're safe. For motorcyclists, the street is not safe at all. Um, you've got so many different things going on and so many things that can go wrong. So mm-hmm. we started tracking. Uh, I was scared to even go 35 miles an hour around a curve when we first got our R3s. And when you got your R3s, this was after your accident? Yes. About how long after your accident? Five years. No, we got them two years ago. Excuse me. Um, so I've only been racing and tracking for about two years now. So about Three years after your accident is when I have, I have to, to go, go back, back to that, that because, because I'm, I'm, it, it just, just occurred to me some, some of the, the stuff, stuff that you said. said. Your, your accident, accident, you literally, literally had, it's, it's, it's like, like road, road rash. rash. It, it literally, literally rips, rips your, your skin, skin off, off right? right? Yes. I almost died uh, because I almost had a head-on collision uh, with, with an oncoming car. So it scared me, but I wanted to ride. I'm so I'm just I'm I'm trying to wrap my mind around this. <laughs> so the wreck was not my fault. It wasn't um like you know I was doing something wrong. I'm five foot four and the SV one thousand is a very tall bike. And so I had taken it to a shop to have it lowered. And I picked it up that same day that I had the wreck and they only lowered the front of the motorcycle. They never touched the rear. So the geometry of the bike was off, but I didn't know that. And it went into a death wobble at 55 miles an hour. Uh, something that, of course, like me being a new rider, I didn't know how to correct it. What is a death wobble? The The front handlebars shake violently uh-huh. to where it shook so hard, it threw me off of the bike. And the bike barely missed the state trooper in an oncoming lane, had it been a car behind me and not a motorcycle, I probably would not be standing here. Uh, 
yeah. <laughs> so pretty scary. Uh, and my mom made me swear to not ride anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't kept that promise. Uh, she won't come watch me race, needless to say, because she's just a nervous wreck. Oh, wow. So so that was their oversight at the shop caused this then. Right. And I went back and, and, and talked to them. Of course, the bike was totaled um, and they denied it. You know, so I just uh, turned the other cheek. Uh, lesson learned. And lesson learned being that you don't need a 1000. <laughs> you know, you you don't have to have this super big bike to, to go out and race and have fun. But, you know, just riding the back roads, like I said, I, I couldn't even go 35 miles an hour around a curve without just tears streaming from my face underneath my like helmet. Like PTSD from your accident? Yeah, it was bad. I could, yeah. Were you in the hospital? I stayed one day in the hospital. One day? One day. And they let me go. I only broke my wrist. But, you know, other than that, it was just some really gnarly road rash. <laughs> Did, you Did you have, have to have, have skin, skin grafts or anything? They offered it to me, um, but I've had around 27 surgeries. So I'm like, what's a couple more scars? And I have a huge sleeve tattoo over that shoulder uh, to cover it up. Wow. <laughs> I'm just, how are you sitting here talking to me? That's insane. You got to be a little crazy to race. Sorry. You have to be. Well, particularly (laughs) motorcycles. At least cars, there's like stuff around you. Yeah. You're in a cage. Yeah. But then we started tracking. And the ladies' day. We have a ladies' day. We host it every year at the track. And it's great. It's one day where no men can ride. You can't Mm -hmm. register. So you don't have that male ego out there on track. It's just women doing their thing, supporting other women. And it's great. Oh, I love it. Um, And I saw the mock race. And I'm going, oh, gosh, I'll never be able to do that. I don't have the nerve to be able to do that. And then I got faster and faster and faster. And I'm going, why can't I do this? I can do this. I've got this. <laughs> and my husband helped push me. He He is my pit crew. I can't touch on my bike, so whenever I come off track, he catches my bike, puts it on the lift for me, and we put the tire warmers on. Uh, the kids also help with me being at the track. Educate me a little bit. When you say you, he catches your bike? Yeah, Educate he has me. to grab it um, because I can't put my feet down and touch. <laughs> so we don't have kickstands. Um, you can't race with a kickstand on your bike because of the lean angle and it you know, possibly grabbing. Uh, so it has a front and rear stand. So he actually has to grab the back of my bike and hold it, <laughs> put the rear stand on. And the same thing kind of happens when I get on the bike until he drops me down and I take off, you know, <laughs> that's kind of the way it works. That's amazing. Yeah. So I love it, you know, and, and I tell people just because somebody says that you can't, the only person stopping you from doing that is you. You are your worst enemy. And I talk to a lot of women specifically at track days or the ladies day that come up and they're like, I don't think I can do that. And I go, well, honey, I've got congestive heart failure and I'm not trying to get people to feel sorry for me in any way. But I'm out here doing this. I've got an implant in my heart. Uh, my spine is fused 
on two levels. I have screws and plates, you know, and I'm like, I'm out here doing it. So quit making excuses. I've got a long list, but I'm not doing that. I'm out here giving you all the reasons why I can. Mm -hmm. I said, so if you need Mm -hmm. somebody to help, we're here. We're here for you. I'll help get your bike off the trailer. I'll help get you prepped. Whatever I need to do to get you out on that track, I will do. Well, and you didn't just race, Lacey. You were a for real competitor. And you shared your proudest career accomplishment. Do you want to share that with the listeners? So my first race, uh, I actually placed, got on podium. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's a huge feat for me. Uh, a big accomplishment that I, I see every day. To go from your accident, being completely terrified of not even being able to go over 35 miles an hour to podium. Yeah, it's it's huge. And, you know, I've smiled every day since then. (laughs) I'm chuckling because I interviewed Tammy Tacklenberg and she shared with me one of her favorite books. One of her favorite books is called Make Fear Your Homeboy. And I'm pretty sure that's the title. But when I hear stories like that that you just shared, you totally made fear your homeboy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? And that's what you have to do. If you want to hit that next level in your life, you get there by walking through your fear. Absolutely. Because if you let fear win and living in that bubble, so to speak, what kind of life are you going to have? So I think that getting diagnosed with the congestive heart failure, it pushed me to race. Because tomorrow's not promised. I don't know how many years I have left of being able to race. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to enjoy it while I'm here. And I'm going to make the most of every single day. Absolutely. And not only did you go through this journey, but you're a mother as well. On top of all of this, right? How how many kiddos do you have? I have two. I have an 18-year-old and I have a 12-year-old that also races. Both boys? Both boys. I think I saw them earlier. Yeah. (laughs) What do they think of mom racing? They like it. Do they ever get scared? No. uh, The 12-year-old, because he races, he's out there going, Mom, you could have went so much faster. (laughs) You know, (laughs) he's like, you need to look up, you know, and all these things that I'm telling him, you know, for his racing and such. Um, But they're both really supportive and they go to the school all the time, you know, and they're like, yeah, my mom races. What does your mom do? And I go, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. But you do have a pretty cool mom. But, you know, your mom races cars. You're like, don't do that. Well, maybe just. Yeah, sometime. just a little. No, don't do that. <laughs> little coolness there. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. So have you had any accidents since you made that transition? No, knock on wood. Okay. So the, the the top elite riders, the Moto America riders, they have no fear, none mm-hmm. whatsoever. I do uh, because I do have a family that needs me that I have to come home to. Yeah. So will I ever ride at that top elite level? No, I don't think so because, because I do know how bad that hurts in the back of my mind. Yeah. But I'm just as happy gridding up with some of the best female riders and male riders, you know, around. And there aren't many female racers, at least in the Southeast. But the ones that do, they are awesome. What a tribe. What a community. And and I think that's, you know, one thing that 
I always like talking about is you don't have to grow up with an automotive background or your dad or mom loving cars or whatever. You can go and enjoy racing and the camaraderie around it and the community around it. It is a cool group of women. I've met so many amazing supportive women and there's this stereotype around cat fighting and women being petty and being at each other and at each other's throat and all this stuff. And I haven't experienced that in the automotive industry, in the motorsports industry. No. My experience has been very supportive and it's turn around, bring them along with you. It's not, I'm going to cut you down. And I don't know, it's just different. It's not the stereotypes that a lot of people have talked about, about women. Yeah, no, I have never experienced that myself with the catfighting and the and the pettiness. Mm-hmm. They're all there to help and will do anything that you need them to do, uh, be it advice or anything like that. You know, if you need a a lever because you had a crash, if they've got one, they're going to let you borrow it. They're they're there to help and not put anybody down because motorcycle racing is a little bit different from cars. It's not a matter of if, but when. You will go down. You will crash. Now, how bad you get hurt is to be determined. So we all know the cost of it. So that's maybe why everybody has a level of respect for each other. Because we're all out here doing something dangerous. And we know that. And we accept it. Mm-hmm. So that's the only the only thing that kind of makes sense to me as to why a lot of that doesn't go on in motorsports. You know, be it cars or bikes. Yeah. There's there's definitely a sisterhood that I have observed, and particularly with motorcycles, and not just motorsports, right? Not just racing bikes, but also like the Harleys and the Cruisers. There's there's a sisterhood that I I just quite honestly have never seen anywhere. You know, I've been to college and I wasn't in a sorority, but I I observed and all these different things. And I've been a part of sports teams and where you have a sisterhood, but I've never seen anything like the sisterhood in motorcycles that tie to motorcycles. I haven't seen anything like it. And it's amazing. And the, the men that are out there riding, they have the utmost respect for the female riders. There's no trash talking, putting anybody down. They are there to help if you need a coach or, hey, you know, can you follow behind me? Give me a toe, you know, show me a different line. They're all there to help and they're so supportive uh, that I couldn't ask for a better, a better family. And when my mom had her heart attack and I had to leave, uh, I couldn't race that weekend I can't tell you how many phone calls and text messages I received, you know, for her asking about her. And, you know, I'm like, this is exactly why I love this family as far as the the racing end goes and just the track days. It's it's great. What's next for Lacey? Uh, what's next for Lacey is to hopefully continue my racing uh next year i'm still got two more this season but i I do want to make it to the grand national finals this year right now i'm sitting fifth uh in the southeast so that's pretty respectable for my first year i think grand national finals i really hope that i can place you know in the top five 
And then next year, I'm going to hit it hot and heavy again. <laughs> I guess my goal ultimately is that one day I become a big enough influence that if I just have one little girl that comes up to me that, you know, just her eyes glazed over of, can I have your autograph? That's it. That's, that's all it's going to take for me. That's, that's why I do this <laughs> to inspire just one person. That will happen. It will. Absolutely. And you don't know, but you already have. And I, I share this story with a lot of people because it, it's, it's so powerful. There's a woman that I interviewed. Uh, she's from Canada. Her name's Shelby. And I asked all my guests, what was that moment where it like clicked for you, that where you caught the bug, or even if it became a possibility? Whereas before, you couldn't even have imagined doing it. But that moment where the thought just kind of, hey, this could be possible. And she was a girl sitting on the school bus, riding to school, looked out the window, and there was a female mechanic working on a car. And it was the first time in her life that she had seen it, a female mechanic working on a car. And at that moment, it became a possibility. That woman working on that car had no idea. <laughs> to this day, she doesn't even know the impact that she had on Shelby. And she is a heavy diesel mechanic on school buses. She works on school buses in Canada. Wow. And, and that's what I mean, Lacey. Like, you have already done it. You just don't know it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> have you ever seen a, a little girl at the track? Oh, yes. Telling you, more is caught than taught. And those little girls caught what you were showing. And it's just because you kept showing up. You made fear your homeboy. You got out on that track. And you just, one day at a time, kept getting better. And that's what it is all about. That's what it's all about. You're a huge inspiration. And I think this is a great time to launch into the red line round. Now, what the red line round is, is five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to them. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. All righty. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? My dad. He's the one that originally got me into, you're going to do this and you're not going to have to have a man around to help you do it. So he is my inspiration to what I do and what I have become. Where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job? Ken Hill, <laughs> his podcast. He is amazing. And I can reach out to him at any point in time and ask a question. And he's there. He's on the spot with help and mechanic questions. I have an ASE certified master tech uh, friend that he is a huge encyclopedia of knowledge. <laughs> Uh, what's the name of his podcast? So the listeners could maybe go check it out. So it's it's Ken Hill. Oh, that's the name of it. Got it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he has so many episodes on there and it breaks down, you know, all sorts of things and you can just pick through it. And I'm a huge listener of his because he he's so well known. 
And his focus is motorcycle racing? His focus is motorcycles, but he does um, incorporate cars. Perfect. What excites you most about what you do? Being an inspiration to people. Not giving up because I got a bad diagnosis from a doctor. I just turn that fear and I use it every single day to make me better and make me stronger. I didn't let it beat me. I'm not going to let it beat me. Hence, I have a tattoo over here that says failure is not an option. And I live those words every day. I can't think of a closer uh, reminder. (laughs) They say, keep your vision boards like I'm going to wear it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right on. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck or discouraged? A personal habit or practice? Personal habit or practice. I would say my painting. Uh, I am an actual professional artist. What is this? I don't see <laughs> this anywhere. You're holding out on me here. I know, right? Um, that is my meditation. That is my relaxation. And I can put my feelings onto a canvas. What kind of painting? Now, you said canvas. Is there a particular type of paint that you like working with? I use uh, oil as my medium. Uh-huh. Uh, and I actually do portraits and stuff that I, I give to local animal shelters of some of the pets that may have been there for a long time oh. uh, so that they can do a silent auction to help raise money for those pets. Uh, so they're abstract, very colorful. Um, so I, I do that, you know, just to just to give something back to the community. You got to share a couple pictures so that uh, we can let the listeners in on that how multi-talented you are <laughs> yeah it's odd yeah. when I tell people that I paint and they're like what <laughs> sorry <laughs> That's awesome. you know Outstanding. <laughs> oh and finally what is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the motorsports industry don't ever let anybody tell you that you can't do something you are the only person that can tell yourself no don't stand for it failure is not an option simply and beautifully put where and how can people connect with you i can find me on facebook uh it's lacy truitt do not have an instagram set up just yet working on that i'm not a huge tech person so i apologize um but If you ever have any questions, anyone out there has any questions, feel free. My email is my first and last name at gmail.com and shoot me a line that way. And I will help out in any way that I can, be it reaching out to get you some contacts to get started or just having a great phone conversation. I will take time out of my day to help anybody in any way that I can. I have no doubt about that. Lacey, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today and just sharing your experiences and some of the most challenging times in your life as well. I appreciate you having me, Jamie. It's It's been wonderful. Thank you. My name is Lacey Truitt. I am a track manager at Talladega Grand Prix Raceway in Mutford, Alabama, and I am a femcanic. Pam Jeffords is in the driver's seat next. She is a senior partner at Sapient Insight Group, 
where she helps companies accelerate their performance and improve their ability to create a strong, equitable workplace. She is also a limited partner for the Jump Fund. The Jump Fund is an angel fund whose mission is to invest women's capital in women-led companies with growth potential. Pam is involved with many initiatives to elevate the role of women in business. Join me next week to learn from this industry leader in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?